Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's right, we have arrived at the Southeastern Conference. It's the SEC. We will begin with the SEC East first. Uh, the SEC West will follow. This is not the not the total conclusion uh, of our win totals. We have heard from you, Notre Dame fans. We have heard from you, uh, Group of Five fans. We will be having some, some best of the rest, uh, along with the uh, anticipated return of the award-winning segment, Camp Buzz, year three of Camp Buzz, Barton Simmons. Um, uh, we've been collecting our notes from the first week of fall camp. You've been collecting notes uh, from being in Nashville at the player personnel convention. I'm excited for our first edition of Camp Buzz at the end of the week. That's right. Yeah. When, when you know, it's it's nice. So that symposium I was at was like kind of all of the recruiting offices in the country, and so. Uh, it, it you know those guys are around all summer and and you know getting wind of what's going on on the field early in practice and so there there was you know got got a little bit of buzz got got some got some buzzers that started kind of trickling out of that thing so um, it was good to talk to those guys and kind of get a a sense on what those rosters are looking like and uh, and, and kind of also learn a little bit about the the challenges of, of that side of things and, and uh, how they're building things out. It's a, it's a growing, it's a growing industry in a big way. Uh, the personnel side of things is pretty interesting. Well, I mean, we can, I'm sure that your analysis and your insights are going to basically be peppering all of your knowledge. I, I feel like I'm at a disadvantage as we, as we begin to pick these win totals <laughs> for this last minute information that you've collected. But in terms of, you know, what you were just speaking on the position as a whole, like were there any, any, any big takeaways that you've had where you felt like you had a, a greater understanding of sort of how that position and how uh, not just a coaching staff, but a, a college football team staff is, uh, is evolving over time? Well, I, I just think there's so, many more, so much more resources being devoted to that position than there ever have been before. I mean, it used to be player, a director of player personnel was sort of this one guy in an office that's helping coordinate the recruiting efforts. But it's grown to be sort of he is truly a general manager overseeing the roster, overseeing a staff, overseeing a graphics department, overseeing a communications department, uh, um, you know, it, it's overseeing on-campus recruiting operations. Like it's just truly this it, – it's evolved into this um, really all-encompassing position. So uh, – and, and some of these programs have so much resources put into it and they come with these like armies – of uh of staffers to to events like this and some are sort of one-man shops still which is um which is interesting but i thought but chip it's funny like uh you say i'm I'm coming armed with like more information it is one of those deals where everyone you talk to even the schools that like (laughs) even the schools that like we may have like lower expectations for 
you know, you come away from the conversation and they're like, I don't know, I think we're going to be pretty good. Like, I got a pretty good <laughs> feeling about this year. You know, everyone's optimistic this time of year. So it's it, it probably hurt me more than it helped me, to be honest with you. Because <laughs> uh, I'm sure you're coming in um, with, with, especially for the these particular positions, you have intimate knowledge of their roster, probably more so than most people just from the recruiting and the evaluating process through these guys' high school careers. So you're coming in with names. You're trying to check up on guys. And you're probably like, he's like, oh, really developing well. Coming along good, Barton. You're going to be right. really happy to see him on Saturdays. Right. Yeah, like two, day, two days into practice, they're like, yep, oh, he was, oh, yeah, yeah, you're in, yeah, that's, he's great. And then, you know, once the season actually hits, you'll never see the guy again. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of – and you never know, too. I mean, sometimes this, the guys that are optimistic are the ones that are just sort of convincing themselves or talking themselves into a team that maybe would have otherwise had some doubts. And the ones that are sort of pessimistic are maybe trying to, like, not jinx themselves and get over over their skis. So, um, so yeah, I got I got a little bit of information, but I'm, I'm, I'm not yeah. – uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not changing my picks. I'll put it that way. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of those picks, uh, are, are you ready to count them up for the SEC East? Count them up. As much as I think it's the the under count is a safe up. play, like I can't even count them up. Count them up. How many kids are gonna win this fall? I can't fathom who wins. How many kids are gonna win this fall? I just can't. I don't see it. It's not, it's not on there. It's not, not the schedule I'm looking at. Unless there's another schedule somewhere. The East Division of the SEC uh, actually, you know, does have uh, an SEC championship thanks to those Georgia Bulldogs. And that's where we're going to start with the two-time SEC East champs, Georgia Bulldogs. The over-under win total that we are going to be pulling from this. And Barton, I did try and update some of our numbers, uh, you know, shop around, try and look for a few updated ones. So we will discuss these sort of within the context of, of course, our expected records and sort of which way we lean on them. I've got Georgia right now here on my pad at 10 and a half. Now we've got, uh, of course, the, the Florida game in Jacksonville. We've got a massive game with Notre Dame coming to town in Athens uh, at the in the near end of September, middle of September. We've got, uh, of course, uh, a trip to Jordan-Hare to play the Auburn Tigers later in the year. The Bulldogs have Jake Fromm back. They've got a, a lot of turnover, particularly on the defensive side from, you know, what was a, a stellar playoff national championship game unit. You know, some of the, the great recruiting has started to turn over there uh, on that side of the ball. So as as you're looking at Kirby Smart here in, in this stage, you know, with, with the expectations, the bar has been raised, you know, he sort of set it so that anything other than an SEC East title is going to be a disappointing season for the Bulldogs. Uh, ten and a half. How are you leaning on this one? I want to go through an exercise here, Chip. Who on this schedule? Where where are games that are realistic losing opportunities? Like Notre Dame. Yep. was one right. Mm-hmm. Do you see any of at Tennessee, South Carolina, or Kentucky as possible losses? I <laughs> I am willing to consider, and this is uh, a little bit of a spoiler for later in the show, I'm willing to consider 
that our boy Jeremy Pruitt's going to get somebody this year. That okay. he, that he's going to he's going to get them all fired up now, and we're going to go get them. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the Vols are going to go get somebody. That's spelled G-I-T. Uh, but uh, I, I like the exercise. I, I will I will continue. I will say, that, like, no, like, realistic losses. Well, okay. But it sounds like you think, you do think that there's a, there could be a stumbling block there. I, like, just within that cluster. Within that cluster, there could be a stumbling block. I, do, I don't think it would happen at home to South Carolina or at home to Kentucky. But I think if you walk in to Neyland Stadium and Tennessee's off a bye and they've been thinking about playing Georgia for two weeks, they could get you. Okay. All right. So we got a loss for Notre Dame. Or I'm just like a loss, loss potential Notre Dame, a loss potential in the middle cluster. And then you got Florida, Missouri, at Auburn, Texas A&M, at Georgia Tech. So those are, I, I guess, you know, would you say those are four losable games? The counting Missouri? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Okay. All right. All right. So this number crept up even higher than I sort of envisioned as we started this exercise. I've got them. I mean, I think this is probably an 11 and one team. Um, I'm on the over, but I'm, uh, but I'm not confidently there because I do think that, I mean, we, the, the the sort of the wide receiver issues are well documented. They've got like 12 catches coming back at the receiver position. But they've recruited well. And Demetrius Robertson and, um, you know, I don't know, Tyler Simmons or, you know, there's guys, Dominic Blaylock, the true freshman. I mean, there's guys that can step up. So I think where I'm a little bit – I think where I think about this program as – as as less confidently as as last year, is kind of the the turnover at coordinators. Mm. You know, I mean, Dan Lanning takes over as defensive coordinator. He's he's early thirties, young. He's coordinated before at Memphis, but I don't know. Mel Tucker just just left for a Power Five head coaching gig. He's been coached under Saban, coached in the NFL, um, very experienced. Uh, James Coley, who's experienced as an offensive coordinator as well, but less successfully so than Jim Chaney before him, who was sort of poached. Uh, so, you know, not, I still think Georgia's going to be really good, and boa constrictors don't have bad days. That's my that's my Georgia that's my Georgia slogan this year. So they're going to be like. They're going to have some very dominant moments, and they're going to be every every game. They're going to be pretty good, <clears throat> but uh, I still think like eleven and one is to me the top top end, and and I think ten and two is not not unreasonable. Yeah, I'm on the under, yeah. um, and that's and, and that is the way that I I totaled it up. You know, I, the the Tennessee I was willing to entertain is like that's just a little chip fantasy that we've sort of thrown off and, and, and cooked together uh, in the kitchen. The the one that I can I can argue with more faith in what we know is Notre Dame's coming to town and I am uh, a little bit like I, I, I am a little bit bullish on believing in 
and I think, man, you might have started to, to talk me into this when we did our show on CBS Sports HQ, which podcast subscribers and listeners can actually listen to the audio version. Uh, it's on the feed. But when we were talking about the top 10 of the CBS Sports 130, uh, you, you zeroed in on Notre Dame. And then I had to write up the full CBS Sports 130 post yesterday. I was looking at where teams had moved. And I was like, man, I just, I, I don't. I'm not. I understand. I loved Jerry Tillery. Um, you know, I loved a lot of the the le- the veteran leadership on the defensive end. But I think when Notre Dame shows up to Athens, I think there's a very good chance that they could win that game. I think the Florida game is another one where that could be a possible loss. You know that I've circled at Auburn as a possible loss for Georgia, and then even beyond that, I think that Texas A&M is a really really tough draw from the other side of the division. And so when we're talking about 10 and a half and I'm looking at like four losable games plus my uh, Neyland Stadium fever dream with Jeremy Pruitt, like they're not going to lose all those, but there are too many spots there that I've circled as potential, uh, you know, concerning, tough, small margin for error games where I'm going to feel comfortable saying that this is going 11 and one. Now at the same time, because of the general talent, I don't think that, you know, you drop this to 10 and I'm just staying away. Like I'm not willing to make a wager that this is going to be a nine and three team, but at 10 and a half, um, I'm, I'm very, very confident in the underplay because the margins are so small. They have ended up on the right side uh, a lot. And that is a, you know, a compliment to Kirby smart, but it's also probably a compliment to, as you mentioned, the coaching staff and, these margins are shrinking. Everybody's coming for them. The Bulldogs got there up top, and I'm not. Uh, I'm not ready to say that they are impervious from being shaken from the top spot in the way that Alabama has done uh, over the last, you know, six seven years. And they are vulnerable um, if there's an injury at quarterback. They don't have depth. They don't have a backup that we can really trust behind Jake Fromm, <clears throat> and. So I, I, that, that concerns me a little bit as well, uh, just the, the lack of, a, of an emergency game plan um, in the event of an injury. And so <clears throat> it's, it's – and, and hey, you know, this is a team that's – is Jermaine Johnson and Nolan Smith and some of these newcomers going to give them a pass rush that they were missing last year? Uh, Brenton Cox looks like he's out of the program. <laughs> Um, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, I just think that there, there seems to be, like, I do feel like the, um, general national confidence in Georgia, just sort of cruising to the East title, being this playoff, likely playoff contender, it strikes me as a little bit overconfident. Man, right there with you. Are we acting like Florida and Missouri and Tennessee aren't getting better? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, um, but it, but I, I think this is a telling year. And I mean, the, the Kirby Smart's records first three years identical to, to Mark Ricks. Is that correct? Like year to year to year? Really? Yeah, like the if you look at Mark Rick's first three years at Georgia, they've got basically the same the same um, year one, year two, year three, and so <clears throat> is you know it's it, it, I, I, this is gonna be a telling year. This is I think this is where we find out. This is the I mean we know Georgia's for real. We know Kirby Smart's for real, but I think this is where we find out if he is 
um, a you know just good coach, good hire, going to be there for the long run, or if he really is like Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, like going to be in that in that conversation for the long run because uh, this is the next this is the next step for them. Yeah, this is this is a test of um, you have all of this. Uh, you know, Georgia's always had talent. Georgia now needs for some of the talent that Kirby Smart staff recruited to step up and win football games. Um, Kirby Smart was not part of the the Roquan Smith recruiting pitch, right? Right. You know that's I like I'm big test. Love it. Uh, so you're on the over and I'm on the under. Count them up. The Florida Gators. Year two with Dan Mullen, uh, a 10-win season a year ago. It was highlighted by wins against LSU, um, you know, but you also lost, you know, 36-17 to Georgia. You lost 38-17 to Missouri. You lost at the beginning of the season to Kentucky. You know, there's there's kind of an up and down in the general development of Felipe Franks. Um, you know, just... Just as we look at this Gators team, because it's Dan Mullen and another year with Felipe Franks, there uh, there's sort of a, a high bar being set for him. I was listening to Mullen's comments to reporters yesterday, uh, actually uh, amid the news that C.J. McWilliams is going to be out for the year with the torn Achilles. But b- before he got into the bad news from the weekend scrimmage, it was interesting hearing Mullen talk about Franks because he – he just has like a very, um, he had a very tell it like it is. Felipe's been here. He's been through this. Um, he's got a killer arm. If he wants to, he can just go out there and just sling it. But what I'm working on with him is, is trying to make him uh, a little bit better at, at being consistent and a little bit better at understanding how to show leadership on the field and, and, and all these things. And I just, I go back to the emotional Felipe Franks. Remember he's, he's, telling the the Florida Gators home fans giving them the the be quiet hush up sign uh I just I'm fascinated of all the quarterbacks in the SEC the one that I think could be like hot and cold like the biggest variance that I have in my expectations is with Felipe Franks in particular and sort of his grasp of the offense and whether or not he's going to end up taking a big jump in terms of consistency and production I I I say that to say I'm uh, I'm not ready to bet on Felipe Franks, and with an over under win total of nine, I think nine's a very good number. But if you're gonna if you're gonna push me off my push, I'm probably pushed to under. Yeah, I mean, I, I the the combination of like the combination of Felipe Franks with Dan Mullen is is has me very. Like I'm not, I am not worried about Felipe Franks. I think Felipe Franks, like he took a big step forward last year. Um, he he took a step forward the year before that. He is, he has become much closer to what we thought he could be at the at the outset of his college football career. And so, under Dan Mullen, with uh, an offense that's going to be catered to his strengths, like we saw last year, uh, I, I have no, I have. I'm I'm per- perfectly capable and, and comfortable saying like all right Felipe Franks will be a uh, like a like a high level starter in college football like a top tier starter in college football 
and will be a benefit, not a not a negative game in, game out. Like you're gonna win most of your quarterback matchups with Felipe Franks with and Dan Mullen. Like to me, the concern here is just offensive line is I mean, they're 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 lost a lot. Uh, John Hevesy turned over that offensive line and made it really good when it really wasn't before. And so can he do the same thing? I mean, that's the nice thing about offensive line is, yeah, you got new faces, but when you're developing, like the development doesn't start when their first game. Like he's been coaching them up the last year and a half. And so maybe those guys are more ready than they're getting credit for. Um so I've been very back and forth on this Florida team. I landed on like nine and three. Um, I think I've I, you know I've gone back and forth on their South Carolina game. Uh, I think they lose to Georgia, LSU, and Auburn, but they're certainly capable of winning any of those games. So, so I guess where I'm at is nine and three is my expectation. Are they more likely to win one of those? one of those big games or or lose a South Carolina or a Tennessee or a Kentucky or a Miami for that matter. Uh, I'm sort of more inclined to go with the, the, the lose side yeah. of that equation. Yeah. So I'm, I would say I'm pushed to under, um, but, but definitely in sort of stay away territory. Let me, uh, for, for a team that I think is going to be very, very young at a lot of key positions, um, you know, like on the offensive line, they, they need some young players to really come along quickly for them to be able to be effective in, in the defensive backfield. They've got CJ Henderson and Marco Wilson's pretty good, but like they, they've got potential youth and depth issues in the secondary. Now tell me if you could see this. De- happening. Yeah. Depth. I would say depth. Cause I think their front line is still really good in the secondary. Like I think Brad Stewart's really good. Trey Dean is going to be really good at, at like the star position, but I agree that they don't they don't have like they have unproven guys behind those 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 guys. So you know an injury or two hits, and um, I mean they were counting on Chris Steele, the early enrollee, to play a lot. I mean he was like running with the ones in the pre in the preseason due to some injuries. Um, so so yeah, I, I think there's to me they they still look really talented on defense, but not maybe as deep defensively as they've been the last few years. So the the you know the Georgia game is going to be massive, right? Like that's that's probably November second in Jacksonville. If Florida enters that game still within the mix of the SEC East title, um, you know that's that that's got to be the one that they've got to win. Now let's say that it doesn't go their way. Tell me that you don't see. This this potentially young, potentially depth challenged team, maybe finding it a little bit hard to pull it together for the final games where you've got Vanderbilt and at Missouri. I mean, couldn't you see that at Missouri game being the most interesting motivation game where one of these teams uh, isn't even going to be going to a bowl game and the other one is maybe just missed out on their chance to win the SEC East? Like that yeah. looks like motivation bowl upset city for the Gators. Yeah, I agree. Those are those are I, there. There are so many upset spots. I'm with you. You know, at the over under win total right now set at nine. I, I would give it a push or a stay away, but like I am, I am under way way before I'm over. Uh, probably because a lot of these depth concerns. Count them up. And we just mentioned it. The Missouri Tigers. Uh, they will not be going bowling this year, but. There is um, 
there there is still some confidence. And look, you've got you've got your uh, your finger on the pulse of Missouri football from time to time, Barton. So I, I'll let you take the lead on this one. The again, a team not eligible for the postseason over under win total set at eight. Uh, how how do you think that uh, that Barry Odom's going to have this squad going? Well, I was a little worried uh, when uh, I Kelly saw I think yesterday some some Kelly Bryant carted off the field headlines. Do you see those? I did. Uh, it appears that that's you know may, maybe we have to update this this discussion uh, if if news comes out to the contrary. But it appears it's not that super serious. Um, but obviously, a lot rides on Kelly Bryant and just being being healthy and and. And being who we sort of think he is, um, but I mean this this program to me has really they they kind of survived some dark days uh, under Barry Odom and he who he was on the hot seat and now they've kind of turned the corner um, and look that they, they had they're on probation as you mentioned and. And they no and, and guys could have transferred without penalty, uh, and and they didn't lose anybody. They, they I think they have like one transfer or something. And to me, that that's a pretty strong testament to the strength of that locker room. It's a pretty strong indicator that there's good, there's a good culture, camaraderie, um, um, just just vibe and feel in that on that team right now and so as i look at this roster as i look at this 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 setup here i mean kelly bryant i I think is 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 really a quality starter they've got one of the best tight ends in the country is it is Um, albert okawebenam gonna be all right too oh yeah he was the other one that was that was injured right yeah the quote i saw was that barry odom said they're both gonna be okay yeah. So, but who? I mean, who? That's again. That was another one that's a little worrisome. But assuming he's all right, Larry Roundtree is one of the better running backs in the SEC. Their defensive line is is outstanding. They're, uh, you know, they've got really good players in the secondary. They, I just think this is a team that's that's slowly, quietly developed into a really good team. And you look at their schedule. They play at Wyoming, and then they got five straight home games, and then they go to Vanderbilt to Kentucky. You know, games that you would hope that are winnable. So they could conceivably start out eight and zero with a home stretch of at Georgia, Florida at home, Tennessee at home, and at Arkansas. And the win total is at eight. I mean, that that's like eleven and one. Is not is not crazy. So, I'm, I've got him at nine and three. <laughs> right? What? No, like if you just talk about like you already talked about the situation that they could be presented with if, against Florida. Right, 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 right. We, we, if we say they lose to Georgia, if we say they, they they could win all of their other games besides at Georgia, like they could be. They could be favorites in ten games this year, split the two that they're underdogs in, and go eleven and one. Like again, 
this is a best case scenario as is I'm talking about the extreme on the spectrum here, but I just think this is a team that in part because of the schedule, in part because of those other factors, this is a team that like it feels like an over to me. Uh wow. Yeah, I I'm I'm on the over for Missouri as well. Uh but I'm eleven and one. The 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 crazy thing about eleven and one Missouri. I'm, I'm not predicting eleven and one. You're just, you're locked in. Uh, you're locked into eleven and one now. <laughs> hey, we all remember when Urban Meyer led Ohio State to twelve and zero when they couldn't go to a bowl game. This will be that for Missouri football. That's right. Yes. The the prideful year where they they put everything together. I just I'm excited to see. Uh, Missouri football healthy because they made the jump to the SEC. They kind of had that really fast, uh, immediate splash with Gary Pinkle, a couple of SEC championship game appearances. And then, you know, it's kind of tough when you take a step back, a little bit of a, a little bit of an identity, you know, you're, you know, where do we stand? You know, what's, what's going on with us and our rivals? You, I like how you put it there. You're like, you've quietly looked, look up and you're like, man, this is, this is a program and this is a team that seems to be seems to be doing all right and uh and I'm I'm inspired by some of the early reports and some of the early chatter not the injury chatter but just the the attitude and the way that this Missouri team has approached the 2019 season so far of course it will be tested uh, as if they do face further adversity uh, if they you know take a couple losses are they going to pack it up or are they going to be able to find uh you know find some motivation even when the postseason's out of reach but i'm with you man i i kind of feel like missouri like georgia everyone as we mentioned has kind of the national stream has has pushed them out into the forefront and florida the national stream of momentum has pushed them up into the top 10 georgia top five florida top 10 and then there's like not really any other uh any other teams that are mentioned in that top 25 top 30 conversation and i i believe that missouri is much closer to florida in the sec east pecking order than a lot of people are are willing to admit there's a few teams nationally that everybody is jumping on as um as as sleepers as dark horses or whatever you want to call it and i think people there's people that are optimistic about Missouri, but they haven't reached that sort of trendy pick status yet. Right. So I, I think if if there's a you know if there's a a a a pick that's worth like there, there's still some value buying this stock to me right now, and so I'm I might I might ride this a little bit here. Coming up on the other side, how will Stoops keep the momentum going at Kentucky? What to expect from Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee, plus win total picks for South Carolina and Vanderbilt next. As one door closes, another opens. The 2020 fantasy baseball season is over, but 2021 prep is just beginning. Join Scott White and me, Frank Sample, on Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, as we take an early look at position previews, review mock drafts, and react in real time to the MLB hot stove. Not only that, we'll be welcoming in some of the best guests in the industry to try and figure out what was real and what wasn't from the abbreviated 60-game season. Listen Tuesdays and Thursdays on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else podcasts are found. Two majors down and one to go in 2020. Bryson DeChambeau overpowered his peers at the U.S. Open. 
can he carry that into November for a fall edition of the Masters? We're chatting about that and more on the First Cut Golf Podcast, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. We're in your feed week in and week out with tournament previews, picks, interviews, news, and analysis. Join Mark Himmelman, Kyle Porter, Greg Ducharme, and myself, Rick Gaiman, as we give you daily fantasy plays, winning bets, and the hottest takes about Bryson, Phil, and Tiger. So what are you waiting for? Come join our group and let's talk golf. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, or anywhere else podcasts are found. All right. It's a little bit less intimidating when you set foot in the checkout line at Kroger Field and Josh Allen's not on the other side. It's a little bit less intimidating when you're not worried about having to bring down the the heart and the grit of Benny Snell and those legs they keep churning. So with an over-under win total set at six and a half and Terry Wilson back leading the charge on offense, where's your level of confidence with Kentucky football? Well, it's not high, and I don't know whether this is a smoke screen or what, but like the they're talking about throwing it like 40 times a game or something with Terry Wilson. Mm. But, <laughs> which, is, which I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't That's not really confidence inspiring. Um, I think their offensive line is still going to be really good. Uh, I think they've, I think they'll still be good on defense, but they, but even you can say they're still going to be good on defense and also say they're taking a huge step back just right. based on all. I mean, that, that, that's a really, particularly for Kentucky standards, this isn't like Florida or Georgia that reloads every year. I mean, that NFL hall that they just produced is that you don't just you don't just backfill that at Kentucky. Um, so I think that that's got me a little bit concerned. Um, and so as I just sort of look at. I mean, look, I I underestimated them last year. Like, hand, hand up if you like saw ten didn't wins. see that coming <laughs> yeah, last year. Yeah. Like, I I'm, I'm hands up. Like, I sorry, uh, I owe I owe the Bluegrass State a big apology, I guess. But I I'm I'm I feel like I'm gonna have to underestimate them again. What's the, what's our number at here? Six and a half. Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm at like six and six, um, and. And I, I, obviously that could that could turn, <clears throat> but and and six and six is could be seven and five, could be five and seven. Um, six and six is a is is a is a realm where there's a lot of toss up games. So, <clears throat> but I but I don't see them like I just I don't see what it looks like for them to be another like eight or nine win team. I just don't I don't know what how that is derived from this team this year. I think that um, to to like expect another eight or nine win team might ignore how monumental like just remember it was just in a couple years ago like getting them to the bowl game felt monumental and just being able to like have that have that postseason experience. And it, it wasn't just, you know, Josh Allen and that defense and Benny Snell. Like it wasn't like they just emerged last year. I mean, that is a that was a defense that 
Kentucky had really been building towards and that they had, you know, a lot of guys had played a lot of snaps, like very veteran laden defense. Like the 2017 18 season to me felt like those were two, like the, the first one was the overture. And then like the, the, this was like the grand, uh, like the grand finale in 2018. Like this, this was the breakthrough. This was the moment. The window was open. Kentucky went and got it. They weren't able to win the SEC East, but you know they they beat Florida, snapped the streak, and got ten wins. Like that, that was like all just this like big breakthrough. And now I just think there's a come down. I I don't think it's a hangover because uh, a hangover would probably include the idea that some of those same players were back and it was a a lack of production moving forward. I just think that uh, you've got to, in in the SEC East, where um, there is not, in my opinion, a single team in the SEC East where I feel comfortable for sure saying like, you know what, they could turn in a half-assed performance and still win the game. Kentucky definitely cannot be doing that. And I I just, there, there's got to be some kind of, uh, not course correction, but there's got to be some kind of come down. And so like they've got the opportunities to get to a bowl game thanks to a non-conference schedule that's going to include Toledo, Eastern Michigan, and UT Martin. But I don't think that, I mean, I don't think end of the year against Louisville. I don't. I'm not willing to give them a for sure win right there. And as you start to get into the SEC schedule, whole lot of toss up games. I don't think it's a bottom fallout kind of year. But at six and a half, as I was trying to provide some balance here, I found myself going Kentucky on the under. I mean, they've. I, I think you have to sort of know, like you have to almost be. You have to know something I don't know to, to be in, enthusiastically on the over. I mean, they lose four guys to the NFL draft, which is the most that they've had drafted since they had four drafted in 2008. They, you know, they're all top four round picks, three of them defensive players. You got four of your top five tacklers are gone. You've got four of your top five receivers are gone. You've got a starting receiver that's out for six weeks with a fractured foot. You've got a quarterback that you're going to lean on that was really just a a balance last year to Benny Snell. You've got this heart and soul of your offense and Benny Snell gone. You've got this generational pass rusher gone and Josh Allen. Man, that's just a lot to overcome. I I, I mean, I, I don't think it's disrespectful to think this is a reset year and... Hey, maybe uh, maybe it's 2020 that they get back up to sort of contending at the top of the East, but I've got a hard time envisioning it this cycle. Count them up. Finally, time the Tennessee Volunteers, Jeremy Pruitt, year two, over under win total set here at six and a half. Um, this this is a pick where as I'm I'm here jumping into the pool on the over. I already teased the the Georgia theory, which is really just a Tennessee theory that this volunteers team is going to go and get somebody at some point this season. And I, I think that there is something within the, the fabric of, of what he's building with the, the staff changes that he's been, that he has uh, orchestrated during the off season where if Tennessee is just going to be this like down 
grit and just like uh, just push you around, play with a, a little bit of nastiness, a little bit of a nasty edge to you. It's something that I just I think culturally I'm going to be able to to jump in on. And so give me a step forward. I mean, give let let me believe that this Tennessee team that beat Kentucky late in the year last season, you know, that that showed a little bit of fight when the season wasn't going well. Let me believe that that step forward is going to include uh, at least a two-win increase. I think it does. So it, I'm not ready to, to jump on Tennessee at, you know, you move this up to seven. I might get a little gun shy because I don't know if eight and four is in the cards, but eight and four wouldn't surprise me. That saying five and seven wouldn't surprise me, but I, I've landed at seven and five for, uh, for year two with Jeremy Pruitt. What's our number we're working with here? Six and a half. Yo, wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm at six and six with with acknowledging like uh, to me it's six and six to seven and five. It's not six and six to five and seven. Uh, I think that's where we're going to waver between is six wins and seven wins. Um, I, I think. Oh yeah, look, they they returned ten starters on offense. They yeah they sh- hopefully uh, for. For, for him and for Tennessee, Trey Smith is back and healthy. Um, they've, I think Jarek Warantano sort of earned, earned his stripes last year. They've got good running backs and Ty Chandler. Apparently Eric Gray's balling preseason two and is going to be really good, a true freshman. Um, good receivers. I mean, they, but ultimately they, they still might be starting true freshmen at offensive tackle. And, that's like if you are hoping as your best case scenario, like the the result you're looking for at a camp is that two true freshmen win your offensive tackle jobs. That's that's uh, I don't know how how confidence that's in, confidence inspiring that is for your your season because true freshmen typically don't make it through the whole year. True freshmen typically make some mistakes, um, and. So I'm just I'm a little worried about that. I'm a little worried about their pass rush as well. Uh, so like there's it's really to me it's about you know do they do they win the swing games or like what's their record on the swing games? And I'd say the swing games are BYU, they're South Carolina, Kentucky, Missouri, and Vandy. So if you know right now I've got them one like. Th- I got them three and two in those swing games, and that gets them to six and six. If they're four and one in that those swing games, then they're they're seven and five. Um, and some of that's going to be about culture building and and just sort of toughness. And you got to think that Jeremy Pruitt's going to instill some of that, and they'll win some of those close games. But these are there's no one, you know, there's, there's no one laying down right now in the SEC East. They've lost three straight to Vanderbilt. The rest of the conference is strong and and getting better. So this is just a matter of how quickly can Tennessee improve? How quickly can they? You know how steep can the can the incline be for them? Um, because you know last year was was uh, you know they were starting behind the eight ball with that roster. It is possible that if if things like things could snowball very quickly out of control. Like let's say, let's say they start three and zero. They could lose their next five, maybe six games. Truthfully, I haven't. If UAB was all loaded with uh, juniors and seniors last year, well, then forgive me on that one. But like at Florida, Georgia, 
Mississippi State at Alabama, South Carolina. Could lose, might not, pro- I'm not betting on it, but could lose every one of those. Then all of a sudden, you find yourself three and five, needing to go three and one against UAB, Kentucky, Missouri, and Vanderbilt just to be able to make a bowl game. Like that middle stretch, how healthy the team is, um, you know, where that team's psyche is at, that feels like just a massively like defining spot for the volunteers this year. Yeah. And, and you have alluded to maybe they've got an upset in them in that middle stretch. That'd be, that'd be huge. Like it's to, to me, the game that I'm most interested in on the schedule is South Carolina. Cause and we'll talk, we're about to talk about South Carolina, but South Carolina, I mean, <clears throat> what will Muschamp is on seven and zero against Tennessee. He, He's seven and zero against Tennessee. Going back to Florida, he's never lost wow. as a head coach. Will Muschamp at both Florida and South Carolina has never lost to Tennessee. I didn't even know that. All right, and he's going into year four, and and Pruitt's going into year two, and if Tennessee gets South Carolina, especially in a season where South Carolina needs every win they can get, right? Because we have not gotten to South Carolina right. yet. If Tennessee gets South Carolina in year two under Jeremy Pruitt in Will Muschamp's fourth year, that's that is a that is a death blow. I mean, that's I don't want to say it's a death blow. That is a tough punch, gut punch. That's a better word. It's a gut punch for South Carolina. So that that's the game I'm fascinated with. Uh, I've got Tennessee losing that game because I think it's more of an Alamo game for South Carolina than it is for Tennessee. But um, but I don't know, man. That that's that's like one of those sneaky games that I've I've got circled as just there's a lot riding on it, and it won't be a national game of the week or anything. But it'll be it'll be pretty critical to those two teams. Yeah, catch us watching our friend Cole Kubelik on the SEC Network for that game. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. How many games are gonna win this fall? Speaking of those South Carolina Gamecocks, uh, they are up next. And and do you know where this win total is at? It's like five and a half, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Five and a half. Will Muschamp entering year four, uh, you know, gets them to bowl game each year. Uh, we peaks at nine and four last year. And I, I wonder, and not that, uh, you know, not, not that bowl, bowl games should never draw too much. Um, we should not draw too much from bowl games because sometimes the, the football team that shows up to a bowl game, both mentally, physically, from the personnel to the coaching staff, is not the this team that played during the regular season. But I, I was thinking back to this because of, uh, you know, why why are we all of a sudden so high on Virginia? I wonder if that 28 nothing belt bowl game both gave us some – so way too much confidence in Broncos bully ball, but then also maybe a little bit of uh, concern. And so at five and a half, I am refusing to believe that this Gamecocks team is not going to make the postseason. Now, that having been said, the schedule has been pointed out by us and many as one of the toughest in the entire country. Uh, the Texas A&M rotating opponent, uh, no, Texas A&M, their regular crossover opponent, that game's going to be in College Station in November. Uh, they draw Alabama, and that game's going to be at home in September. Their non-con, of course, always includes Clemson, but 
they also have UNC and App State. So it is uh, an absolutely brutal schedule. So I understand why five and a half is set as the over-under, but still, with everything that uh, Will Muschamp has tried to do to make South Carolina a competitive team once again in the SEC East, I I got to think that they're going to figure out a way to get to six wins. So, by my count, this schedule has 11 losable games on it. Everything but Charleston Southern. Everything but Charleston Southern is yes. losable. Yes. That's pretty brutal. Um, and, I mean, it's 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 brutal because South Carolina is still a middle-of-the-road SEC East team. I mean, if they had elevated to this point to being, you know, a, a, in the in locked in a battle with Georgia for the top of the division, then they wouldn't have 11 losable games on here. They'd be, but they'd still have seven, you know? Like, there'd still be a bunch of games that – um, if you don't show up for you, you'd, you'd be in trouble, but, but they got, they got 11 games that they got to not only just show up for, they got to, they got to be ready for that's a, that is just brutal. And so I've got them at, I mean, but I'm with you. Like I, I can't quite, I mean, this is, this is the year where Will Muschamp feels like he's got depth at the defensive front. He's got defensive linemen that he can sort of platoon in and have and be SEC ready. He's got an offensive line that that returns three starters. So Darius Hutcherson's supposed to be an NFL guy. I mean, if Jake Bentley is ever going to be the Jake Bentley that he was hyped to be like back when, you know, everyone was reading their Jake Bentley press releases in 2017 preseason, uh, now's the now's the time, buddy. You know, take, you know, just uh, go, let's do it. Waiting on you, Jake. Um, like the the consistent, there's no no excuses for him not to be consistent anymore. Um, for him to have these sort of um, moments or games where he is uh, has these inexplicable performances. So, I mean, if you if if you have any faith in Will Muschamp, and if you sort of think he is a net value add as a coach, you, you this is. They gotta be over five and a half this year, and they really should. They they really should figure out a way to get to seven wins, and and be happy about that. Um, I've got them at six and six, and uh, going to a bowl. And I think even that, even given the schedule, like I just to me, I I would I'm I'm a I'd be a little disappointed at six and six, just hoping that the natural evolution of this program would have put them in a better spot. At, in, in year four. Will Muschamp gets a shot at his former boss, Mac Brown. Mac Brown is trying to make a splash landing. Who are you giving that season opener to? I I think South Carolina. I I mean, they've got a long, you know, they, they know how important that game is. They know every game is going to count. They got Charleston Southern next week. North Carolina's, I don't know who they're going to be starting at quarterback. Um, I just think it actually think is South- going to be Phil Longo. Phil Longo is actually just going to be taking the snaps for him. <laughs> it's like, it's going to be like uh, home run derbies where it really doesn't matter who the quarterback is, but between like Daz Newsome, Michael Carter, Antonio Williams, I think he's just going to, I think Phil Longo's offensive plan is to not be too dependent on uh, the quarterback making tough throws down the field. 
That is so my you're prediction. Getting, you're getting kind of excited about North Carolina's running backfield, huh? I've, I've, I like. I thought last year uh, Carter and Williams were good, and Daz Newsom. I'd forgotten until we started going through and like uh, circling some stuff. Anyway, this isn't a North Carolina podcast, but yeah, that's that. That has been my my prediction from the the early days. My camp buzz from Chapel Hill is that highlighting the skill position players and putting them in space is the game plan. Yeah. Well, he's he can do that effectively, but he doesn't always do it against great defenses. And will South Carolina be a great defense? They should be at this point. Will Muschamp is this defensive whisperer, the three-star hunter who can, you know, outsmart the recruiting services. So let's see it, you know. Javon Kinlaw is supposed to be uh, a, a first or second rounder defensive line. You know, they, they got defensive backs and J.C. Horn and – R.J. Roderick, and I mean, there's no reason they shouldn't be really good. So let's see it. The I I am looking at this for South Carolina. If you had pushed this to you know seven, then I, I wouldn't be able to to take it. No. Uh, but and I don't know exactly where, but I think like let's go North Carolina, Charleston Southern, Kentucky, Vandy, App State. And then they just gotta find something. They gotta find something. If how if if they are five and six, going welcoming Clemson to uh, to Williams Bryce, would you be taking the Gamecocks against the spread? Uh, no. Okay. No. Even if that spread's probably gonna be like twenty eight and a half. I think that's. I think if it's a motivated South Carolina. Would would just sort of stoke the flames of Clemson even more to, to sort of be more focused themselves and in their season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Count them up. And finally, wrapping up the SEC East, the Vanderbilt Commodores, the pride of Nashville behind Barton Simmons, uh, Derek Mason. Now in year six, kind of fully entrenched. There, there've been there've been the seasons uh, a little bit of a rough start but then you've got some proof positive in the the last couple of years couple of bowl seasons where i think we've seen um Derek Mason take a lot of pride in in what this team's been able to develop Keyshawn Vaughn is one of the best running backs in the entire SEC but they are facing that challenge of being uh you know sort of power ranked at the bottom of the division they catch a, a road trip to Purdue in the non-con. They've got LSU rotating through from the SEC West on on their uh, on their schedule in conference. The over/under win total is set at five. Barton, do you think this team is bowling? Can you believe this is year six? Six years of Derek Mason. That's uh, and the answer is yes because uh, and it's it's like a yes where you say um, like you know what. You're right. It is year six. He's he's gone through some struggles and he's had some successes and you know the somewhere in between he's found some stability and that that feels about right given all of my sort of mental anecdotes for what the Derek Mason era has been like at Vanderbilt. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the answer to your question is I've got. What'd you say the number is? Five. Uh, this is I got a bunch of pushes in this this that's no fun. But I mean I got another push here. I think they're five and seven, capable, and but but I always I mean if you're talking about 
like they they are so quick and Jer- I mean Derek Mason was at the SC Media Days was was all about his big three and it's a good big three I mean it's Keyshawn Vaughn and Kalijah Lipscomb and Jarrett Pinkney are as good of a wide receiver tight ends um, uh, running back trio as there is in the SEC that's pretty that's that's pretty strong to have that at Vanderbilt but like what like what do we know about the SEC it is a line of scrimmage league like that ain't going to get you very far if you don't have a good defensive line and a good offensive line and i'm not necessarily convinced that their defensive line is is that good i mean it's there's a reason that they've gotten out that the Derek Mason's on his third defensive line coach in three in six years mm. you know i mean and I don't know if I'm not even saying it's the defensive line coach's fault, but he's looking for it. But Derek Mason's looking for answers. He's it's almost like that's you know, it, it, that tells me something about like the confidence he's got in the front seven and the front, well, particularly the, the, the line of scrimmage. And so I'm not there yet on, on the line of scrimmage. They, they lost some pretty good offensive linemen as well um, that have played a lot of games. So, what are, what are the holes going to look like for Keyshawn Vaughn? And then ultimately, it's still, I mean, this is still the SEC. So I, I've got them. I mean, this is another team, you know, at Purdue is at Vanderbilt, you got to just find your four wins every year, non conference. Like, I guess when they scheduled Purdue, Purdue probably wasn't very good. So. I'm not going to knock the scheduling for that, but but Northern Illinois, man, that's a good program. That is, I yeah. think I've got that as a Vanderbilt win as I total it up, but uh, that ain't easy. No, so they got so I'm that five and seven is including a win against Purdue, which is on the road and is no gimme. And what do you have at Ole Miss? Uh, I've got them winning that game. Mm. So, there's still like this is a team that's going to beat some good teams, uh, but I still think this is a team when you're talking about playing in the SEC in the pecking order, you got to rank these. Like, you got to you got to decide whether not if Vanderbilt is good, you got to decide if they're better than the other teams. I still don't think that they're better than the other teams. The SEC. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm a push under. That's I like. Will do not think that as as we're going through these toss ups. And as Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Kentucky are just fighting and clawing to try and make sure that they're going to end up on the right side of that six-win cutoff, that I, I do not feel good that that is uh, that's going to be a scrap, a scrap and a claw that the Commodores are going to win. But you know what, Barton? You can always count on that APR score if you can get to five and seven. Vandy's got you covered. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> Uh, coming up on in the next episode, we will be taking a look at the SEC West. Make sure that you subscribe so that you can check that out. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Barton, thank you very much. Dessert. Yes,